Hi, and welcome to Live Read LA's Industry Insider Podcast. I'm Tim Schilberger, founder, director, and host of Live Read LA. We do all sorts of things. We hold regular readings at an LA theater where professional actors read pages selected from our competition. We also have great workshops aimed at helping writers find more emotional connection with their characters and story. And we're a community here to help writers feel a little less alone. Our insider today is Pete Goldfinger, writer of Jigsaw, which is chapter eight in the Saw horror franchise. When Pete joined us for our Live Read LA event, Jigsaw was the number one movie in America. So it was a great time to hear insights from someone at that moment in their career. Pete is also an accomplished script coach. So he has a lot of experience working with unsigned writers. He's also very focused on the business side of Hollywood. In other words, writing scripts that have a better chance of selling. So let's get into a chat about process, writing partners, the path to selling a script, and how it feels to be the writer of a box office champion with Pete Goldfinger. So we're at the Q&A part of the evening. So um, what I normally like to do is just, um, you have a, um, you have fortune unlikely, I mean, you, you got into a genre. How, yeah. how do you, how does that happen? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so I came out here to write comedy mostly from from Boston, and I spent a little time went to school in Vermont and spent four years in Chicago, and then I came here and I, I told around for a while, doing some comedy, wrote for a radio show, wrote I worked at MTV for a few years, but a buddy of mine, a writing partner of mine, we did some animated TV together, uh, comedy, and it was right around 2004, I think when Dawn of the Dead and, what was the other one? Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they did remakes. And my writing partner came and said, they're gonna remake all these movies. We gotta find some obscure titles and get the rights to them. And we did, we, we got the rights to Sorority Row and we got the rights to another movie called uh, Piranha, um, which was James Cameron and John Sayles. So that had a great pedigree. That one was John Sayles, the other movie was James, one of James Cameron's first movies. Um, and he was right. So you know, I went from you know barely having a WGA card to having two movies made, sort of in the same year almost. Um, and then that's just the way the horse has been going. And since then, I mean, we wrote a lot of horror scripts. Didn't get made for studios. We did a draft of Halloween. We did a couple other drafts of things. And then we did you know we, we more recently did Saw. And then but but since then, I can't get. You know, this is the direction the horse is running. So, you know, if you think you're going to write a horror movie or a comedy, then you're going to cross genre, you know, it's like saying, ah, it's good being a doctor, I think I'll try to be a lawyer now. Like, it's really hard to get traction in another direction, but that's what took me. And I'm happy for it. I'm not, this is no, I mean, I'm not complaining about it, but it's just funny how, like, that's where I ended up when I had, I, I, I jokingly said that I, when those first two movies were made, I said to Mary Partner, I've, I've now written two, two more horror movies than I've seen. Like I, I had not, now I've, I've learned to really appreciate them and I love them and I've seen everything and I, I do enjoy them. But I just, I never got them. But then now I, I get that people who go and see horror, they think it's, they think it's funny. Like they don't, there's no real attachment to it. Like I, when I was a kid and I used to see horror, I'd be like, that's going to happen to me? Like I, I couldn't separate myself from it, you know? And I think people who are fans don't, they don't have that connection to it. But that's how I got started doing that. So you can't walk into a room now for a pitch meeting and say, I've got this romantic comedy. Never. I mean, I could write one. I could write, a, you know, I could write my way out of it, but that means taking time off from my other projects, you know, right, and I don't have the confidence I, you know, I used to. <laughs> that's, that's one of the great things about being a, a young writer is you have much more confidence than I do because I've seen all my failures and you haven't. Um, 
the advantage of being an older writer is I know I'm going to finish what I start. And and because I, I always do. I mean, I just, you have to. And I think a lot of young writers who I work with, they just, they quit. <laughs> they just get so frustrated. And they don't believe they can finish it. They don't believe in themselves. And, you know, that's the difference. Well, look, just, just go back a second. How do you go from moving from Chicago to L.A. to getting your WGA card? I mean, what, did no. you, what were those steps? Yeah, they, you know, that's a, that's a good question. So <clears throat> when I was in Chicago, I was doing a lot of the Second City stuff. And then I came out here and I had a lot of friends, you know, and a lot of my friends just, and this is maybe will happen or has happened to some of you, but they started to do well. And so I'd written a lot of stuff that had gotten, I had every reason to think that I could be a writer. Only, and I only say that because I had gotten so much good feedback. But again, I got a lot of the narrow target stuff. Like, you know, I wrote a, a movie called Farrah Fawcett Forever that was about a 13-year-old boy who blows off his bar mitzvah in 1979 to go through, go see Farrah Fawcett at like a, at a uh, you know, one of those meet and greets. Nobody was going to make that movie. Everybody liked it, but nobody was going to make it, you know. And so then the weirdest thing happened, which is a friend of mine, many of you probably know her name, Lauren Graham, who was a friend of mine for a very long time. She got on the show called The Gilmore Girls, and then she got a, uh, one of these vanity deals where they, and she didn't know any writers except me. <laughs> so I came in and I sold it in the room. I mean, anybody who was going in with Lauren Graham would have sold it in the room. And that's how I got my WGA card. I mean, and it's so funny because. There is no way, one way to break into this business, but I can't tell you this, be ready when the opportunity comes. I, it would be so sad for me to hear that like somebody you know said, hey, do you have a script and you didn't have one, you know? So that, that's the key is be ready, you know? And have so, two scripts at least. So when did you start writing scripts? When did you? Uh, well, I, I started off as an actor. Right. Um, there are really funny headshots of me like thinking I was gonna be the next Jewish De Niro or something. Uh, but I had no, I had no, I, it wasn't going to work. And <laughs> let's put it that way. And then I, I started writing some things at Second City. And I've learned how to write at Second City. For any of you, improv is a great way to just quickly learn scene structure and, and stuff. And then I wrote a, a couple of plays in Chicago that got some notice. And then I came out here and I wrote a script. I, I, I had a lot of, I was ahead of the game early on. And then I was middle of the pack. And I was behind everybody in my 30s. So I got a little, I got, I, I showed some promise early as a writer, I, I would say. And, but it, it took me a lot of time to, I, I was, here, here's, here's, sorry, I know I'm just blabbing. But like, I remember coming out here thinking like Beverly Hills 90210 was on the air when I came out here. And I remember thinking, God, I could write better than that. That's the B answer. The A answer is I could write that. That's, you know, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Try to find something that is in the zeitgeist and capture it. You know, don't don't write your obscure movie because it's unless you have the money to fund it. You know, you, you got to sort of open yourself up to a little bit of, I don't know, sell out or, or open yourself up to what sells. And, and now when, then have kids and it's all about what sells. <laughs> that's where you go. It's, it's sad. It's very sad. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> so when you how explain to me because I'm. I, I want to know, how do you get the rights to a film that James Cameron made? Well, it's not, he doesn't have the rights. So okay. a company called, God, it was Mark Canton's company. I can't remember the name of it. I really should know this. But they were just languishing. They were thrilled to have somebody. I mean, they, they didn't have anybody to write it, you know. And so we came in and offered to do it for free. And I don't think they knew what they had. Uh, and if they did, they certainly didn't have enough money to hire somebody to write it. So we, so you look I, are we taping this? Yeah. <laughs> All right. It doesn't matter. We we did something you're not allowed to do, which is well, I think I was allowed to because I wasn't. But you're not allowed to. You are not allowed to write a script for somebody that's not paying you if you are a WJ writer. And I, I believe we did. We could do a spec, but we couldn't write someone else's pro 
some, uh, something that someone else had the rights to. So that's why I think they were very thrilled to have us do this. So we actually, to be fair, we wrote something called Killer Fish. It was not called Piranha. And then we submitted it to them, but they knew it was coming and that that was the plan for it. You know, it might have been legal, but it, it was definitely let's say, let's say it was. Let's say it was. Yeah, let's yeah. say it was legal. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so just sorry to hop on a bit. So you found um, some properties that you thought, you know, they're remaking all these films. They might remake these ones. And then you found the production company that made the original. We thought, yes. And we, said, when, when I had a meeting with them and said, hey... Have you thought about rewrite? We know? did it twice. We did it for Sorority Row. Right. We did it twice. And and it wasn't that we thought they would remake those movies. It's that we knew that people, there was, this is it. You know, this is what Hollywood's about. It wasn't me. It was my writing partner. Said, uh, there is a market for remakes of these horror movies. They're low budget. They have built-in fan bases. I think that these are sellable projects. And they were. And that's, we, we convinced studios that these were, they should remake these movies. They were wrong. <laughs> we were all wrong. No, I'm kidding. Piranha, Piranha was Piranha did fine, but Sorority Row we were wrong about. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, and so then, um, so is horror? I mean, now that you, because I know you teach as well, um, mm -hmm. is horror? I mean, is genre writing different from? Is it just regular rules as all writing, or is there something unique? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's <clears throat> funny because it's a lot about the kills. Like, if you dress up a bad pitch with a couple of great kills, you can sell your project. You know. Um, Saw, interesting, was the complete opposite. They don't do any of the kills until the story's all broken, which I've never seen that before. But it, it's similar. I mean, it's all three-act structure. Um, you want to care about the characters. Um, no, I, I, I approach it like a mist. I like to try to approach it, and some of you will see my movies and say, well, boy, you failed in that regard. But <laughs> I try to treat it like, what would this look like without the kills? And try to tell a story that way, and then add the kills in later, you know? Right. And so with Jigsaw, so that's what, part of the Saw franchise is number mm -hmm. eight. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain how that happens? Do you pitch them? Do they come to you and they say, we've got this idea to read That the was, character. no, no, that was, we went, uh, we went on a general call to that. And after our meeting, I said, it was Oren Coolis and this guy, Mark Berg on the rights, great guys, good friends now. But at the time, Mark wasn't there, but Oren was. And after that meeting, I said to my writing partner, we were in the car together, I said, we cannot tell our managers or agents what happened in that meeting because Oren had fallen asleep. Okay. He literally closed his eyes. And six months later, we got a call that there was one thing that we said, which was our, our big pitch. And I can say this now because it's so funny is what if there wasn't just that the born identity had just come out was what if what, what if there wasn't only one? So that was our pitch was what if there only one? And we did this whole pitch and we worked on it with with Oren for a couple months and he find, or maybe eight months of lunches. And he said, all right, we're finally you guys did it. We're going to go to Lionsgate. It's a formality. We finance the movies, but we got to It's only fair that we go to them and tell them what we're doing. We're like, great. And we went to Lionsgate. They didn't like it, and it turns out they do matter. So then we had to take another pass at it. But when we finally finished the movie, when we finished shooting, or, uh, Oren sent us an email that says, can you believe two years ago that we would be here today? And I forwarded him the email that my agent had sent me saying that they wanted to meet us on it. And I said, two years, try four. It had been four years so that we've been working on this. But that just goes to show that the whole idea of there weren't just, that has nothing to do with what we ended up writing, because we went through four incarnations. And the lesson I would say there is don't fall in love with your work. But we were persistent. I mean, we were. it was a general call and we really, you know, there's no such thing as a general meeting. You've all heard that. Like anytime you have a general meeting, go in with something. We never go to a general meeting without a lot of ideas and, and things, you know, right. that we want to write. Right. Otherwise, it's, you're just saying, hey, how's the way? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Warm yeah. today. Yeah. Um, your process, um, how has that evolved? Your writing process when you're... Um, either given a script or do you write specs anymore or are you just I just finished one actually yeah. this week it's the first time I finished one in a long time it's one I I knew I had to have one ready for after this movie came out 
Um, my process in terms of the work is, uh, you know, I, I one thing I, I do is I, I work at the same time every day. Uh, I work from about 8 to 1.32 and then I'm done. That's it. No more writing for the day. I might return emails and stuff, but one thing I always tell people, I don't know the level of writers that we have here, but I would Mixed. say, uh, you know, if you're just starting out, don't do like, I'm going to put in eight hours on Sunday. No. Say, I'm going to put in an hour every day from nine to 10 or whatever, pick the same hour. If And know that like, sometimes my writing partner and I will, will, will come up with an idea. We came up with this idea called germs. And it was such a bad idea that we spent a month on before we realized it was a bad idea <laughs> that now whenever one of us gives the other a bad pitch, the other just goes, germs. Like that's, <laughs> that's gonna so it's okay to have an hour spent writing where you throw out everything. That's, if you do that, you're doing what every writer does every day in this town. But start small, turn off the internet. I, I, don't, I, I go to a coffee shop where you have to ask for a code and I purposely don't ask for it for the first two hours. You know, like That's part of my rhythm as a writer. Um, but it's always a, a struggle. I mean, to because you know you start writing a spec and then you get hired and then like you know it's a little bit you know where I am is a little bit different. But I don't know. That, that's how I write. <clears throat> but then do you start? How do you start? I mean, do you start with a um, uh, like the, an idea and then you block out and you write an outline first, or do you just like I'm just going to write a draft, okay. whatever pops into my head? Okay. So th there are a lot of different feelings about this. I love an outline, but I'm like you guys too. Like I'll spend a month on an outline and I'm like, fuck it, I'm just going to start writing, and then it'll come to me on page 70. Like that's ever happened in the history of motion pictures. You hit that stretch right around the mid after the midpoint. And you're just like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, like, what am I doing? This doesn't even make any sense anymore. So now I do a ton of outlines. And the great thing is, is when you work for a studio, they make you do it. So that by the time it, they finally say yes to writing, it takes three weeks, literally, to write it. Because it's just like, da-da-da-da-ding. My writer hates, to, my writing partner hates to do outlines, you know. So you get the full gamut. I think, um, I think it's David or Russell. I, I, I know we're recording, but I'm not sure it's him. He never writes an outline, as I understand it. But something he does that I love is he just pitches his story to anybody that will listen. He just keeps pitching it to people. And he, he does it because when you look in someone's eyes, you know what's working and what isn't. And I would add to that that when you're failing, you sometimes like start grabbing shit, trying to make the person believe, and you find something. You know, So I, I do think one thing I really recommend is tell your story out. Don't worry that someone's going to steal your story. That doesn't really happen so much anymore. That was like from 30 years ago. But tell your story to anybody who will listen and just keep adding to it and keep building it You know, that way. That's another way to do it. But I like a good outline before I start. I really do. Yeah, I, um, I actually started, um, my first job was writing for Neighbours, which is an Australian soap opera. Uh -huh. And they would mail you, this is how old I am, they would mail you the outline of the episode of mm -hmm. every scene breakdown. Mm -hmm. And then my job was to add the dialogue. And oh, I would and then love I'd that. Mail it. <laughs> That's the greatest job and, ever. And then you oh mail it back. Like you, and my first one, it took me 12 hours because I had to type out the, the finished job because I, I didn't have enough money for a computer. Oh my God. So it was like typing out. It that took is me so funny. 12 hours to do it. But apparently they still do it that way. They oh, that's a, great. They team that writes the story and then they send you out. That's perfect. Uh, we're speaking of team, writing partner. Uh, some people are like, yes, it's great. Some people are like, oh no, I work alone. What, obviously it works for find you. Find a writing partner who does what you can't. You know what I mean? Like don't find, the, the thinking is find someone really similar. My writing partner and I are real, we're best friends. We've known each other in college. I mean, we went to college together. Um, he direct, I met him because he directed me in West Side Story. I was Officer Shrink. Detective Frank, I can't, but it's the only character that doesn't sing, so that should tell you a little something about me. Um, but he is so good at the very thing I just told you. He's good at set pieces. He's good at, like, he'll say to me, what's the poster? 
Like he wants, he said his feeling is if we can't, if I can't see this movie on a poster, you know, I, I, I don't want to do it. I, he would, if you were here, I think he would say character, dialogue, like some, some, that sort of whiff of something that feels a little different, which has been my struggle, which has also many times been my cross to bear. But we're very different in terms of what we bring. When we, when we write a pitch, I know what's going to happen. He's going to go in and he's going to pitch the opening scene to whatever we're pitching. And then I'll take over from there, you know. And it's usually sold by then, you know, or, or not because he's so good at that. So find someone who you get along with who's, who's – don't find somebody that's lazy. Oh, my God. That's death. Because – and this is a, one thing else I just – if I can give one piece of advice is – Establish the if you're working with somebody new on a project, establish what the rules are if someone doesn't want to do it anymore. Because what's going to happen is you're going to finish the project and you're going to sell it and they're going to come out of the woodwork. It, 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 you, you have to have rules is what happens if one person quits. That's one other piece of advice. All right. Yeah. Very good. Uh, I will, I'm, as it's getting close to 9.30, we'll take some questions if anybody has any. Anyone? See, this is how comprehensive I am in my questioning. Yes, yes. Yeah, go for so it. No, we don't want to dive in here. Uh, the, the thing you said is so echoed everything I'm talking. There's no real given route into doing getting your WGA card, getting yourself started. Um, any advice on should you have every type of genre ready as far as a script, or do you should you work in the things that you're good at? Like maybe I'm better at dramedy, somebody else is better at sci-fi. Or do you need to have that cross section just in case? You should not have that cross-section unless you want a cross-section out of what you want to do. So if you, if you were doing horror and you wanted to do comedy, you probably have to write two comedy projects to get started in that direction. You should not, it'll confuse them if you have too many different things. They don't want that. They want things that, I always say to people, what's your companion piece to go with it? You know, like, is it a short story? Is so it, you different know, scripts of the same genre? Yes. Yes. Definitely. It's all about pigeonholes, right? Yes. That's right. Anyone? I've got a couple, if you don't. Okay, fine. Uh, how many rewrites do you do? What's your rewrite? Uh, I, okay, I'm not a great rewriter. My wife always says I fall in love with everything I write. It's not true. It's just that I, I, I'm very afraid of the... I, I feel a lot of times when I rewrite, the draft sometimes loses the passion. That there's something gained but something lost. In other words, it may make more sense, but it loses that initial flurry. Um, I do, well, I do a lot of tinkering. Like I, uh, every Monday, if I'm working on a project, every Monday, I read the whole thing from start to finish, whatever I have. Like if it's 10 pages, 30 pages, 50, I always read it because you'll find things that will help you later. And I always, so I'm always rewriting as I go, but I read it by the time I, you know, I, I read, a, when I finish the script, I probably read it six or seven times, just through, and changes and, and that. <clears throat> so it's, it's never a re, like, okay, now I rewrite. It's rewriting the whole time, that's it. But, and you don't enjoy that, though. I don't enjoy getting notes with for rewrite. <laughs> and, and no one does. No one does. No one does. But but no mostly does. it's because I hate, and I think Holiday will speak to this. I try, Holiday. You can tell me if I succeed. In I almost never say this isn't working without a solution because I think that that's no note at all to tell somebody that something doesn't work. Or Holiday was just telling me a story that I'm, I'm just gonna I won't pass on. I will pass on. That someone said to her uh, recently, she went to Austin this week, and, and somebody said of her hilarious script that has gotten her more attention than many scripts that I've gotten. We read said, it here. We read it here. Oh, yeah, yeah. What was the line? Can I ask? Can I do? Well, first of all, somebody who's a famous genius producer. <laughs> Not in my book, but yeah. <laughs> she just said, the workshop was done. We were in the Q&A like this. 
and out of nowhere she goes, who was the one with the princess? You had a bunch of cheap jokes and like moved on. Yeah. So what do you do with that? Like that fucking made me so mad when Holly told me that because what are you? Why would you tell somebody that? What do you want them to do? I mean, that's their their jokes are their jokes. So uh, when I give notes, and this is what I don't like about producers is I don't like when someone says this isn't really working and doesn't have a solution. Or, or make it funnier. Yeah, yeah. Or make it funnier. I mean, I've never, I've actually never heard that, but I, but I've heard things that are, are similar, you know. And I would say the same thing when you're giving somebody a note, you know. And when you're getting notes, consider the person giving you the notes, you know. If it's your roommate or your dad, what, what do they really know, you know? And if it's somebody who works in horror that you give your script to and it's a comedy, I don't know what they really know, you know. So uh, uh, something else I, I say to a lot of people is, if you don't take any of my notes, your script won't be as good. If you take all of my notes, your script won't be as good. Like, you have to figure out what notes work for the project you know better than anybody else, you know. So, so what happens with that though, and I'll make this the last one, if you, if you slaved over your project, you go into a meeting and you are really comfortable with where it's at and you go into a meeting and there's this specter of unless you change X and Y, we have nothing. But if you change X and Y, we have something. What, what do you do with that? Yeah, it depends on who's telling me that. If right. it's my manager, no. <laughs> if it's my agent, maybe. <laughs> uh, if it's the producer, if it's, if it's, well, I was going to say, if it's Bob Weinstein, now I wouldn't listen no, to him either. Um, it's so funny how much I rooted for that whole, you know, for them to just be destroyed when it's like my, I've done several projects for them and it's like, that just took half the horror market off the table and yet I was rooting for that, their demise. But if it's a producer that really can do something with it, I'm more, you know, I'm more inclined to take the, you know, to, to go off and do the notes, especially if they're paying me. I mean, a lot of times you, ha you are contractually obligated to. Look, I mean, I would even say with your agent, if your agent doesn't like your project, he's not, you know, you don't get the Glengarry Glen Ross, you know, submissions, you know, so keep that in mind. Because there are a lot of opinions out there. I mean, there are a lot of like. There, yes, know. we all know what they say about opinions. So. <laughs> okay. Can I get one more before you? Oh right, yes. Uh, how much? Because everybody told me when I was trying to write uh, most of the stuff you're going to get paid for are writing assignments. Mm -hmm. What? How does that that differ? Is it like what you just said? They hand you a bunch of outline, you punch in dialogue, or what exactly is writing assignments per se? So. A writing time is often a, a movie from another country, one we're looking at right now with Lionsgate, where they want to adapt it to make it more American. You know, they want to adapt it for an American market. An assignment, um, we were once hired to do a rewrite of, um, what was that movie about the robot from years ago with Fisher Stevens? Oh, oh, short, short circuit. Yeah, so we were hired to do that. So a lot of times, or somebody has an idea, and that's the assignment, you know, and that's your assignment. But you don't ever. Okay, is there a writer? Forgive me, I'm from Texas. Um, the, the, the team of writers for a specific, specific show is just they're the ones that write the shows. So you can't, you don't get a writing assignment from a show unless you're going to write a spec script for the show. You know. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a good question. So you might get hired. I've, I've written a couple uh, scripts. I've been hired. I wrote an episode of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because they, they so they hired me to do one of those, you know, for the, the guys who run the show. Um, sometimes I, I got hired. ABC Family had an idea for a show, but they didn't have a writer. So they, I was assigned that job. So, you know, you get it that way. Uh, and then just finally before you go, how is, what's, what's the market like? We keep hearing from other people sitting here that spec scripts are dead uh, and that Hollywood's only making movie-wise or they're making a tentpole, you know. Uh, Hollywood is tough. I mean, I, I got it. I mean, feature writing is, is tough and you're right. Everything you just said is correct. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 sadly. Uh, well, I would say two things. One is um, 
feature, so much money is earmarked towards Marvel and all that, and, and international box office is so important that it, it makes it very hard. The feature world is, is very difficult. What is amazing right now, and I'm trying to go there myself, is the TV market. I, I think it's so, there's not as much money as there used to be, but there's so much more work. And the stuff that's going on at Netflix and, and you know, uh, Amazon and, and all these places, the storytelling and FX, oh my God, like these new anthologies, the anthology shows like uh, uh, American Horror Show, these limited run shows, they're, they're so, the storytelling is amazing. And I, I would really recommend uh, thinking about uh, an hour long pilot. I think that's where the market is right now. And, and it, I, would, I would even say this is the golden age, this is the second golden age. The golden age of television was the 70s. I think we're right now in the second golden age of television. For, I, can't, I can't keep up with all the amazing stuff that's on TV. But unfortunately, screenplays is a much tougher place to go. Uh, and then just finally, uh, I know I just said that. How does it feel to have the number one movie in America? Oh, uh, well, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, uh, it was great. It was, it was a really, uh, it was a wild ride, you know, uh, getting there. We, it, it, it made about what people thought it would, but I don't know if you guys read, but there was a brief moment on Friday where they were like, and I, I've been around this business forever, and I never throw my heart into anything, and I'm like, all these projections were like, you know, mid-20s and all this stuff. And then it, it just kind of ended where it was supposed to. And I'm like, wow, that's a lot. Because that, that would have been like Sequel Town and all those, you know, and it was like a, just a, it was a bit of a drop off there. But it was really, if, I wish it had just, even when those numbers, I was like, I wish it would just project what it's supposed to do, which is win the box office, which is, you know, I got, that happened. It happened. There you have it. Do you get it, anything? So. Do you get, like, do they bring around a fruit punch? I got a great, I mean, yes, a that's a great question. I got a great Jigsaw-themed iPad that has, like, all this Jigsaw stuff loaded into it. So there's that. Um, yeah, no, no. And, you know, and, and also, it definitely helps, you know. It helps with, the career, with your career. I, do I you go to the back of theaters? Did you, do you cruise? We did. We, we, well, we, all the producers, we went out on Friday night. And we went to the back of theaters and, and watched, and the one we were at was uh, was just dead. <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know how else to say it. It was, it was just dead. Oh, well. Well, <laughs> that was that was the first Harbinger. <laughs> it, did, it, it all did fine. And interestingly, you know, it's so funny because I think it has last I checked. So forgive me, but it was like. 38 or 40 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I was like, God, that's. And then I was told by the producers, that's the second highest rated Saw movie of all time. So there's also that. You've been listening to Pete Goldfinger, writer of the horror film Jigsaw, which spent one glorious week as the number one movie at the US box office. It was interesting to hear about Pete's writing process. Everyone has their own way of working, but the common theme we keep hearing is to treat writing as a regular part of your daily schedule. Don't wait for inspiration or write when you're feeling it. It's okay to spend a day writing complete rubbish. It's still writing and it will inform your future work. It's easier said than done, trust me, but it definitely helps to establish a rhythm. And as we've said before, and we'll say again, the only true path to becoming a better writer is by actually writing. If you're interested in learning more about what we do at Live Read LA, from entering a script into our next competition, to joining a workshop, or getting some personal script coaching from me, go to our website at livereadla.com. That's all for now. We'll be back soon with another fascinating insider. I'm Tim Schildberger. Thanks for listening. Now get back to writing.